And as we uh, start these, that's my turkey noise. Um, <laughs> that's our opening. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Center Seat. I am KB. And I am Kate. This week we'll be discussing the new Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman, which is debuting on Netflix this week. It's a feature film epic. We'll get more into that as the podcast goes on. Um, How are you, Kate? I'm good. I'm in hardcore Thanksgiving preparation. Although I did take the time last night because Oscar season's coming up and I am getting just movies by the truckload are arriving at my front door, which is the best situation I could ever ask for. And so last night, Ryan and I watched Dolomite is My Name with Eddie Murphy, which is available (laughs) on Netflix right now. And okay, I did not know anything about it. So I was like, okay, so it's going to be like a black exploitation thing. And that's like, because Ryan's like, what are we watching? And he loves Eddie Murphy. Like Raw is one of his very favorites. And uh, we're watching it and I'm like, checking IMDb. I'm like, oh, like this guy, he's playing Rudy Ray. Like that's the name of the guy who originally played Dolomite. I wonder if that's like an homage or something. And then I was like, oh, they're telling that guy's story. Like I knew nothing of what was going on, but we really enjoyed it so much so that we then watched the first part of Dolomite on, it's available to stream on Amazon Prime, the original from the seventies. And I have to say like the Eddie Murphy tale is flipping dedicated to the reality of what they made. Like we were really impressed with just the shot for shot accuracy Mm. of what they did. It was really fun. Yeah. I grew up on those Rudy Ray Moore uh, movies just because it was like known in, in the hood. And um, even before I was old enough to understand and appreciate, I probably watched them way too early, but it was, (laughs) I grew up on those classics and it was nice to see not only the representation of it but the accuracy of the representation yeah and I, it was interesting to me too because in watching it i suddenly understood a wealth of references and culture from other movies that i hadn't pinpointed a lot of the origin of so yeah, it was yeah. it was really good. Um, although I have to say that after watching the original, um, I think Eddie Murphy did a great job. I'm not convinced he was the best choice. I think it was his um, production company that wanted to bring it to life, which is a good thing because not many people are even thinking about Rudy Ray Moore in 2019. So right just having that dedication i mean once upon a time he was scheduled to play richard Pryor because of his love of him as a comedian and a portrait of his art and everything it's just a matter of you know saying that i want to star in it and thinking that he could do the best job but 
I'm sure there no, would have fair. been others that could. I was thinking like uh, like after I saw the guy, um, he's, but he's probably a little too old for it now. I was thinking Lawrence Fishburne would have been great. Hmm. Um, that would have been good. Just yeah. But anyway, it was it was fantastic. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and it was very educational. So you can, yeah, yeah, you can double team that one, like watch Eddie Murphy on Netflix and then bump over to Amazon Prime and watch the original Dolomite. And it's uh, it's educating and really entertaining. Talking about uh, movies that are possible Thanksgiving movies. There's <laughs> this movie from called Krisha, K-R-I-S-H-A. And it's one of those putting the fun and dysfunctional family gathering. But apparently, creature is away from a family for 10 years. What goes on during that time, you may or may not find out. But she returns, and she returns on Thanksgiving. And there's grudges and addictions, and it all comes Holy to crap. a halt. This looks amazing. Dinner. I've never even heard of it. It is. It's like the train wreck that you can't look away from. I will recommend it to you, Miss Kate, but I'll also recommend it to check out. It's available right now on Netflix. But we had some listener feedback as well from our segment that we did last week on Ensemble Cast. And Kate, you had mentioned uh, female cast and the limitations of some. I know you were uh, kicking yourself for missing an important one. And then we also had some additional feedback. Yeah, so uh, basically, well, we had the whole conversation about Tom Hanks last week, and that's what triggered this, because I was like, there has to be a great Tom Hanks movie since, like, Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and all of this, because I feel like he plays the same role over and over, with little exception. Um, But then I remembered Cloud Atlas, which is also a phenomenal ensemble movie, and it's the Wachowski uh, siblings, as they are now known. And um, I loved it. I tried to get through the book and I honestly couldn't. But um, I loved the movie for its adherence to love and weirdness as a story. And it's sci-fi and it's all over time. And yeah, Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Hugo Weaving, Jim Sturgis, Ben Wishaw, Wysha, how are you say his name? James Darcy, Hugh Grant, Susan Sarandon, like big, big guests. Uh, Duna by yeah. Jim Broadbent. Um, and what's so fascinating about the movie is that the actors are sometimes switching genders and sometimes switching races. And um, like Halle Berry has a, has a few, everybody has a, like a bunch of parts they play, but like, Halle Berry pops up at one point and I did not recognize her until like the second time I saw the movie. I had no idea it was yeah. her. Um, and so I just, I kind of love that um, adherence to human unity and oneness that it kind of goes through it. I really loved that one. Yeah. We also had some uh, feedback from Sarah. Yes. And she and I, um, actually talked and she added another one. So she pointed out Steel Magnolias, which, yes, fabulous all-female cast. Um, Wet Hot American Summer was a little iffy because the first one, the majority of the cast isn't 
that famous yet. So yeah, the, we were the thinking second one was more like home the second one would be the big ensemble, um, but the first mm-hmm. one's better. And then the First Wives Club, you've got True. Goldie Hawn and Bette Midler and Diane Keaton and Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, just for the ladies. And then, right. um, yeah, and then some dudes are also in that. Um, oh, Maggie Smith, too. Dan Hedaya, again, Soccer Channing, Elizabeth Berkeley, Marcia Gay Harden. Like, it's a, just an enormous cast. Um, so that's wow. another really good all or female led um, ensemble. And I think that you had uh, sourced some as well. Yeah, we had um, additional check ins with um, not only the female version, the female casting version of Ghostbusters, which the original one is also a good ensemble as well, but uh, right. sticking with the uh, female casting motif here, we have quite the cast of funny ladies, if we can just go that route, starting with Kristen Wiig, the scene on the airplane alone, Maya Rudolph, Rose Byrne, of course, I think this was Melissa McCarthy's breakout movie. Uh, Ellie Camper, Jill Claiborne. I mean, just the women alone in this movie just kept it moving and kept the laughs going. That's true. So in Ghostbusters, we have Melissa McCarthy again, as well as Kristen Wiig, but add on Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones from SNL, and you can My stop right there. <laughs> daughter. Loved, loved, loved that version of Ghostbusters. And she loved Kate McKinnon in particular. And she was like, at the time, she was like, I'm going to be the blonde one for Halloween. And I was like, yeah, she's Aww. pretty funny. And she goes, mom, she's a maker. She makes all the cool stuff in the movie. And I was like, and also that. And then with that, you add in all the different cameos from Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, all three from the original. Gorney Weaver as well, Annie Potts, Ivan Reitman, they all made a guest appearance from the original movie in this one. And then other people like Al Roker, Ozzy Osbourne, but just as yeah, far as I'm everyone cast, those are good choices. And you forgot the you forgot the man candy of Chris Hemsworth. Which Chris is that? I don't remember. He's one of the Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> So after we return, we'll have our review of The Irishman coming up next. Hello? Hey, my friend. I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm going to put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay? Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. Our friend speaks very highly of you. Thank you. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. Outside of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, if you ask anyone their favorite Martin Scorsese film, they will mention a mob movie. 
in The Irishman, the new feature film put out by Martin Scorsese for Netflix. It's kind of like the culmination of the Scorsese mob movie era. Fortunately, Kate and I were able to see it on the big screen, the way I think this movie is truly intended to be watched. Probably watch it again when it comes out on Netflix. So with that in mind, putting this up with all the other Scorsese movies, how did you like it, Kate? Um, it was enjoyable. Um, I felt, uh, I have a lot of uh, strong feelings about it, actually. I'm not going to use the word, opus isn't quite right, but it very much felt like an internal love letter of this, these guys who have worked together. De Niro, Pacino, who hasn't worked with them quite as much, but uh, Pesci and Scorsese. I liked it. I don't know that I would watch it again. It felt 45 minutes too long, maybe even an hour. Would you say the ending? I loved the ending. I loved the ending and I liked the very last shot of the ending, but I felt like the 30 minutes leading up to the ending weren't very indulgent. It felt it felt very psychological to me, like these guys are kind of looking at their own death and their own end in the film industry. And it felt very, very sentimental to me. Yeah. If uh, Scorsese came out and said that this was his last movie or any of the trio, if it was De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, if any of them came out and said that this was their last movie this would definitely make that make sense the way it was uh, handled yeah. and the way it was shot. Uh, the whole thing made me long for the Goodfellas. Uh, I kept waiting for Derek and the Dominoes to start playing and instead mm. the music was a little older, but like it was like that style that Scorsese has in these movies is so tied in my head with that music that I, I really kept waiting for it to kick on because I have such a uh, association between the two. What did you think about the acting or the actors, the choice of actors? Like I said, you have the trifecta of professional acting and their prowess is definitely on display. Um, I would say that De Niro was just doing De Niro and that's not uh, bad, but it didn't stretch the character. And it Pacino was say, also wow. just doing Pacino. Like if they hadn't kept saying Jimmy Hoffa, I would have had no idea that that was Jimmy Hoffa he was acting like because he's just doing I, Pacino. I would disagree with that. I would say that Hoffa's performance was bombastic, not in the way that Pacino is, but more in the way that Hoffa was. I think he was Okay, really see, and I don't know anything Hoffa. about him. So it just yeah. seems like. It just seemed like Pacino to me. I think he was really putting on the persona of Hoffa more than he was just doing, you know, Pacino. I like at no point that I feel like he was going to break out into Dunka Dunka Chino or he was going to start screaming Attica or whatever. Those who know got that reference. But yeah, I'm out. Time, I, I think that I think he really focused on the character and that made it good, but. Out of all of them, I would say this is Pesci's performance. As oh, my as God. Pesci's really, really phenomenal. Good. I've never seen Pesci like that. Like, and I don't know if it's just because he hasn't been on the screen in almost a decade um, or if it's just because I feel like for the first time I was able to see him be subtle and restrained. Yeah. 
and it yeah. was gorgeous. Like it was so good. Um, just this very light touch and just a real kindness to this very dangerous human. Yeah, it was, it was so, he was excellent. I also thought that like De Niro, no, not at all. Not at all. But I did think that De Niro was horribly miscast because there is absolutely nothing Irish about him and blue contacts don't change that. Like, but here's the thing, just knowing how people in those neighborhoods, whether it was Italian, Irish, sometimes even Hispanic or of Jewish descent kind of intermingled and they all kind of adopted each other's ways. Anyone who was somewhat associated with the mob played into what people think of ideally as an Italian mobster. So they were all along those lines. And sometimes the only way you didn't know is if that person was made or wasn't made to know if they were Italian. So I, I wouldn't say that, but you mentioned the blue eyes. Let's talk about where it went to um, because the stories really gathered around three different storylines. You have, um, you have Frank Sheeran, which is the Robert De Niro character as an old man and excellent makeup job there. And then you see him when he's young and there's CGI use. And I, I want to say this is like the first time CGI use has been used in a Scorsese movie on people. We've seen special effects and so forth, Aviator, whatnot. But I think this is the first time we've seen like the actual person having some type of CGI. And I was really prepared for it to look more like a deep fake. And it came out more like a Snapchat filter, if you can understand what I mean. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I felt like, I mean, it, I wrote that in my notes that it looked like the Polar Express face to me uh, the first time I uh, saw it. Yeah. It was. And I think part of the issue, too, is that even though you're aging down the faces of these 70 plus year old men, you are not changing their physicality. And they right. don't have the physicalities of 40 year old men that their faces are trying to be. And there's something around the mouth, too, that doesn't look right. Um, like like the, you, there's it was something... like curling down or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was very uncomfortable. And I, I, I'm really starting to have some quandaries with this whole let's uh, usify all of our actors rather than just casting somebody else to play the younger version. I think there's an inherent egocentrism to it that I just, I don't care for. The technology isn't serving you very well. Nobody's fooled by it. And I have to wonder if somebody else playing the younger Sheeran would have brought maybe a little more energy to the character because I always felt like Frank Sheeran was kind of sleepy in the entire movie. And he's supposed to be like this dangerous guy. And it's not like a calm reservedness. It's just, he just seems kind of tired all the time well i Um, i I won't say he looked tired i would say that his energy level was and we're not giving away too much here but i think the character that he played was just someone who was just there he wasn't supposed to be right and i i think he was supposed to be more like calm down but 
he's also supposed to be six four and none of the lifts or force perspective really ever made De Niro look anything like hulking except for maybe over Pacino. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't I just, think ILM I, I was going to invest in that. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, I just don't think that like, just because the technology is available doesn't make it the best choice. And it could have been having a younger actor do this. And then when De Niro does come in for the age appropriate moments, you're like, oh shit, it's De Niro. And it's great. Right. And you're excited. And I mean, like, and the aged up makeup was fantastic. Like I did not recognize Pesci when he, right. it, I mean, it took me five minutes to go, holy crap, that's, that's Pesci. Like I had no idea. Yeah. So like, yeah. And, and then I like heard him talk and I was like, oh, oh I know who that yeah. is. So but if you're going to age people down. 40, 45 years. So well, and just to, to like, the like last, around 39, 40. Right. And he, he never looked younger than 55. He never looked younger than 55. Um, But also on that flip side too, if you're going to do this, you have Anna Paquin playing Peggy Sheeran, who is his daughter with a single line in the entire movie. And she's in a bunch of scenes. She never talks. And then she has a line. And I was just like, that's what you did with Anna Paquin. Seriously. But why not just age her down to being a 12 year old and instead of casting a, how? Because we know what, we know what Anna Paquin looked like when she was 12. There's tons of footage to go back and look at because she was acting then. I don't really see how it's different. It's different because she's not an adult at that. If you de-age her for lack of a better term, she's not an adult. Most of these special effects are done from some adult time to another adult time. So like Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War. Right, but I'm just saying like, why? Why why does it have to be that? Like, why? Why not take it all the way back? You're you're looking like you're an adult the way you're going to look when you're 60, 70, or 80 in the case. I don't know. I think I Anna Paquin's always kind of looked exactly the same. And there's loads of references to figure out what she did look like. And the not to knock little children, but the girl who played her as a kid was so dead eyed and boring. I assumed she had to be related to somebody. But I think the character that she played was very instrumental in the movie, as uh, listeners will see, because it was kind of like the... She was a moral compass. Yes. It's kind of like she was like a moral compass of all the actions, not only of her father in Frank, but also of the other mob members that she was around. But I felt like that was so mishandled because the entire time it was going on with the younger actress, I was waiting for like some molestation story to start because I I just felt like it was so mishandled and the vibes were so weird. And I don't know if it was just the actress, again, who was playing the young Peggy, but there was something tonally off about it to me. It never felt like it had to do with mob stuff. It always felt like very, very personal. And I, and I, it, I it agree. didn't play I right. It, it didn't play right to, to me personal. at all. I think it was yeah. very personal, which once again, not giving anything away, but I think it led up to something personal. What about the editing? I mean, we're talking about a movie. This is Scorsese's longest movie. It's longer than Silence, and it's longer than Gangs of New York, and they both felt longer 
to me sitting there watching it. You know, when you watch it on Netflix, you have the ability to stop, come back to it. But watching it in a theater, I felt like the timing of it kept me interested long enough that I didn't feel like looking at my watch or how long is this going? How, how much time is left? You know. Oh, I was counting it down. I was like, all right, that's another 30 minutes. That's another 30 minutes. Yeah, I was oh, 100%. Okay. Nothing. I mean, you said it earlier, like nothing new was happening here. Like there wasn't anything in the narrative style. There wasn't anything in the acting. There wasn't anything really in the story until that was enough to pull me all the way in like that as much as I really wanted it to. The last 90 minutes, all of the groundwork that has been laid down for the last two hours really starts to pay off. And that was when I started to get more into it. And then that last half hour just slogged again. I really felt like the the entire third um, act of his life, the where he's sitting in his wheelchair and he's in his 90s, I didn't think that needed to be there at all. And I, I generally consider voiceover to be kind of lazy, but it's also a Scorsese thing. So I forgive bro. it. Right. So I, I forgive it when it scores easy, but I was, ugh. and that, yeah. And his voice is the same age through the whole thing. And it was, it was grumpy old men playing mobsters. Ugh. See, like, I'm going to come off like the Scorsese apologist, which I have no problem with, but what did you like about the movie? Because you started off saying that it was good. Um, I liked Joe Pesci. I really loved Stephen Graham as Anthony Provenzano, uh, who is the little guy in the movie. And kind of, he's a Hoffa's rival, and he brought some great energy um, to the movie. A little bit more of a wild card, something that was kind of unexpected. I liked when it talked more about the history of what happened with Hoffa because I didn't know any of that. So I really liked learning about the Teamsters and the union history because that was all um, stuff I, you know, I've heard allusions to, but not really learned much about. Felt like the pacing, it felt very indulgent and Mm. um, like personally indulgent, like they were making this for them and letting us see it. I will also say that Pacino's body double when he's getting into fights is awful. It's so obvious. It's so obvious. It is a body double that it's distracting. Like you get like all these special effects and like stuff like that. Like, come on. See, you were doing so well. You were focusing on what you like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I glanced at my notes and it, I was like, Oh, Stephen Graham, excellent. And then it said Pacino body double. And I was like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, I did think that when Pesci and Pacino got in the room together, those two had some freaking fantastic scenes when it wasn't a lot. But the energy between those two was really good. I liked them on screen a lot. So I will say that because it's epic in time, it's epic in storyline covering the many different decades and epic and effort. I think a lot of the things that you're talking about, like the editing and so forth, I think it feeds into that. Did it have to be an epic? Did it have to be the time that it was? Did it need to be? Probably not. But I think for the scale and taking on something of this proportion, 
it did what it needed to do. And I think it did it very well. I think that it's, it's telling a very, very interesting story. And I feel like they didn't make a very interesting movie about a very interesting story. So if you hate waiting like Jimmy Hoffa, Netflix will have this up by the time you hear this podcast. And because we have differing views on this, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think of The Irishman once you've watched it on Netflix and give us your comments about it on our Twitter account, Center Seat Pod. Coming up next, we're going to discuss a few things that we are thankful for this holiday season. So as we approach the big turkey day and also are kind of just a few months into our new podcast adventure, we were discussing the things that we really enjoy about and are very thankful for movies, which, you know, give us this opportunity to chat with each other once a week and be entertained so often. So KB, what is something that you are grateful for that is movie related? Socks. What? I, thirty-four pairs. I love all my socks. No, oh, you said movie related. I'm sorry. Um, I am so related. confused. <laughs> socks with an X? Are socks. you talking about sports? Because you have lost me. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the first thing I'm grateful for, movie related is just the current technology that we have. We have streaming options. If you don't want physical media, everything from your Netflix to your movie rentals, on demand, all these different options. And also we have the ability to restore old films that we may not have ever even heard of so that it's available for the public today. And, you know, I love the ability to hook up with a friend and be able to watch a movie together, even though we're in two different places simultaneously. It's like the next thing to be in there and having that shared experience. Another thing that I'm grateful for is TCM. I love being able to oh, turn I love it on TCM. just watch an old movie or like in a case, a movie that is a classic. So I could just have it on in the background. I don't even have to pay attention to it. Last week I came home and Cool Hand Luke was on. It just started. I missed anything. But at the same time, I was able to just hop in because I've seen it so many times and, you know, quote the lines that I know. And it always has something new. I have two things to say about that before we move on. The first one is a shout out to Tannen in Kansas City because they always have TCM on their TVs in the bar. And on the occasions that they do put on a game, they will only put it on like one TV and they will keep TCM on. And it's awesome. And second of all, the egg eating scene in Cool Hands Luke. I was fully on board with that until I tallied up how many deviled eggs I eat at Thanksgiving. And I am now calling BS on that because I think I probably eat two dozen eggs. <laughs> if they're deviled, I think it makes a difference. 
I think it makes a difference. That's a lot. All right. That was all I had to say about it. So my third one, and I think this rang true when we went to see the Irishman, I am thankful for reserved seating. We're spoiled <laughs> living where we live that we can just like purchase tickets ahead of time, have our favorite spot, which is the center seat, of course, and just walk in 10, 15 minutes late, you know, during the trailers and our seat is waiting for us. I already have my seats for Star Wars at the end of the year because of reserved seating. This is what it's all about, people. If you're not on the reserved seating train, hop aboard. There's plenty of room. It's the place to be. Um, I agree. I think that for me, though, it's theaters that will eject you if you make noise. Those are my favorite. So one of my favorite things, mine's more of about movies and less related to movies. Okay. So something that I'm super grateful for about movies is the cultural exposure that they allow. So like earlier, we were talking about Dolomite and just learning so much about that history that I knew nothing about. Um, I had another experience uh, earlier this year with a fantastic movie called uh, Capernaum, which is about Lebanese refugees. And it was an astounding movie. And, you know, budgets and the realities of life and we don't get to visit all of the things. And so to get to see other cultures, stories, hopefully told in their own voice, I think is so important and such a unique thing that movies can provide. I I know whether it's a foreign film or an independent film, anytime I can be able to be educated, entertained and also be able to experience someone else's culture or experience, it just edifies me. And to know it's not just about the entertainment value of watching a movie, but sometimes yeah. when it teaches you something, don't even talk about documentary, but when it teaches yeah. you something, it just adds so much more to it. I agree. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into my next one a little bit because getting to show that stuff to my kids is a big part of it. And so, and one of my very, very favorite things about movies is family time. I mean, y'all already know that it's movies are like the basis of my dad and I's relationship. That's not true. Um, But it is something we really enjoy doing together. And uh, now I get to introduce my kids to like these things I love and they really enjoy and start to see the things that are appealing to them and really good time together because it's not just sitting and staring at a screen. It's also the discussion after and before and Ryan and I sharing our own memories of seeing these and it's just really fun. I really enjoy it. And then I actually had that. I actually had that on my list for the third one before we went to see the Irishman because it's really nice, especially now as my kids get older, that, you know, we could pick something from their watch list and I could revisit something or they can introduce me to something because they're coming in with their own type of lane of movies that they expose me to, whether it's independent stuff or blockbusters that may have gone unseen but you know have created a buzz online social media whatnot and then they put me on game so it's really nice to have that balance and that comes from that foundation of family movie nights and taking them to the movies to see like animated movies when they were younger and so forth so it's really good to be able to have that turnaround right now so that was actually on my list as well 
Okay, so my last one, I told you mine are all really squishy. I love that movies provide emotional catharsis. Like if you are in need of a mood shift, you can find it. Like if I ever need cheering up, you know, what about Bob is is one of my go-tos. Also bringing up baby will always crack me up. Um, But on the flip side, like if I've just had like a really crap day and I want to wallow in it for half a second, I can turn on uh, atonement and just like sob my face off and just let it out. There's release and comfort and uh, emotional connection with these stories. What about you out there? Tell us what you're thankful for as far as movie related things. I know I've heard people say I'm thankful for physical media because I could watch a movie anytime I want or thankful that I have movie theaters all around me versus some people who have to drive 75 miles just to see a movie, which is dedication. Any of you who yeah, do that, that's the you're truth. awesome. So let us know on our Twitter account at Center Seat Pod what you're thankful for this holiday season. New this week, we have, besides The Irishman on Netflix, we have the wide release of Knives Out that we covered in the last episode. We also have Clean and Slim, which is kind of like a new action movie. The byline is, what if you met the love of your life on your worst day ever? And it's kind of <laughs> like a two characters falling in love, but also on the run from the authorities. And there's a modern twist on that old story. And then for next week, we're going to be covering the new film by the Safety brothers, Uncut Gems, which stars Adam Sandler and should be out around the end of the year, around Christmas, but we'll be doing a review of it next week. I'm still, I'm still Mm -hmm. mulling that one. Yeah. Not, no spoilers for next week, but It's been swirling in my brain. Yeah. So check out the trailer if you have a chance. But until then, I am still KB. And I am still Kate. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. We'll see you next time. Music provided by The Big Law, Todd Kelly. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Center Seat Pod. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We'll see you next time.